Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Deeply Technical series. Hello, and welcome to Codish, Heroku's podcast. My name is David Morgan Taylor. I am an account manager here at Heroku, and I'm joined today by my friends from Kavala. Hi, my name is Emmanuel Leviarvi, and uh, I live our, lead our engineering team at Kavala. And my name is Teddy Ward, and I'm a software engineer. Uh, I want to start off quickly by uh, learning a little bit more about Kavala and what you do. Sure, um, we are building what we like to call one-to-one map of the energy grid, and we. Um, we map the way that uh, power is distributed. We map the way that power is produced. We may, we try to model how it's consumed, and we're just trying to develop uh, a picture of what's going on for uh, regulators and utilities, and um, also solar installers. Uh, basically, I guess we're trying to take all the data that could possibly exist about the electric grid and. Uh, show it in meaningful ways to uh, people who want to do something with that. Specifically, our mission would say people who want to put more clean energy onto the grid. And and can you talk a little bit about um, how you came to this particular model? I I mean, you're operating in a a huge space of energy and technology. Um, How how did you come to this particular idea in the first place? Uh, This is largely... Not largely, and entirely the brainchild of our, our founder, uh, Aram Shumavan, and, and he comes from uh, the California CPUC and um, learned a lot about this and is very passionate about decarbonizing the, the energy grid. And, and um, I think I can speak for both of us as, as feeling the same. Yeah, definitely passionate about decarbonizing the grid, which is why I came to Kabbalah in the first place. And I was pretty quickly won over by... Um, Aram's knowledge of and, and vision. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I had a I had a personal interest long before I joined Kavala um, in various things related to energy and capturing um, data via like IoT type devices and and uh, gathering data from my uh, smart meter. And um, so when I learned about Kavala, it was kind of I was like, oh wow, I can actually do this for work and not just for fun. Kind <laughs> of awesome. So can you guys talk a little bit about uh, some of the ways you go about data collection? How are you aggregating data today? Um, well, we pull data from a huge variety of sources, uh, whether these are public maps that um, we can find ways to incorporate in our tool or uh, data that's collected manually by a team of trained data specialists. Um, basically, once we have all of that data, we can... Uh, show it using tools like Leaflet and Mapbox um, just to give people a picture of everything that's out there. Uh, and then for aggregation, we're either spatially aggregating things, like for example, taking all of the rooftop solar and let's say that there are a thousand solar installations that connect to this power line, which generates at a 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you know, a certain peak of solar energy production. And then we also aggregate temporally, so you know you can check at uh, at 9 p.m. Well, there's nothing generated by the solar, but on Labor Day 2017, I think it was when there was a heat wave, 
you know, everybody's energy usage spiked um, because it was like 105 degrees in San Francisco and everybody that had an AC turned it on and everybody that didn't, I guess, was going out and buying fans. I think I was yeah. lucky enough to be in Italy when that happened. So <laughs> I, I, I would add another one of the sources for data or proprietary data sets where we will do some analysis on, on behalf of customers and that data, it, we will ingest it on their behalf and do analysis that's specific to them and, and kind of keep it private to their um, proprietary kind of versions of our analytics. The, the, the math tends to be the same, but the data input uh, is, is different. Hmm. So I'm interested in also understanding a little bit more about how you guys are capturing wholesale energy pricing and working with that. A lot of people may, may not be aware that uh, the, the price of energy, electric energy, is uh, changing constantly throughout the day. And there's actually more than one market in most places related to wholesale energy. So here in California, we have three markets. One is the day ahead market, and you can buy, if, if you're like a utility or a large energy consumer, you can buy energy a day in advance um, and at different hours in the day. Uh, and then there are also markets that you can buy them maybe an hour ahead of time. Um, so the price of energy is changing not only over time, but it's also changing depending on where you are. So we may have we could possibly have uh, different energy prices here in San Francisco than you do further south on the peninsula. Marin may have different energy prices than we do in in the wholesale market. Hmm. And um, so we we capture these and we feed them into some of our analysis. For example, uh, when we're modeling batteries, it, if you're a utility and you want to charge a battery when energy prices are low, you might want to use uh, use this type of data to, to feed into that model. And, and when you say battery, I mean, you're talking about things like electric cars or potentially if you have like something like a power wall or something like that? Uh, so, so a little bit larger scale. So, as a as a consumer, you're not buying power in the wholesale energy market. You're you're buying power mo usually at more or less a fixed price from from your utility. Gotcha. And, you know, there's some variation, but um, these would be the prices that the utility would pay for power to provide to you as a consumer. Um, but it it can apply to electric vehicles if. If somebody has a fleet of electric vehicles, uh, say like a city or something or, or a county, um, it becomes important for them if they're buying energy in bulk, what, what the price is and th that they charge at the right time, they can save or expend, <laughs> expend a lot more money. Yeah, we're also interested in electric vehicles and the Tesla Powerwall stuff that you mentioned. Um, for example, the utility might want to build new infrastructure in some part of the state. And uh, instead, one thing that we might suggest is uh, looking into ways that adding more power walls or whatever the technology is for behind the meter storage could allow you to avoid the need for um, spending billions of dollars on new infrastructure. So can you guys talk a little bit about... Um I mean, obviously, you're, you're here as Heroku customers. Yep. Uh, I'm interested to hear a bit about sort of how you've... Uh, designed your your application stack around some of the challenges that are unique to this industry, and, and if you sort of brought anything um, unusual, perhaps from your various backgrounds to this field that might otherwise be um, foreign to this industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I've had previous experience in, in other companies. Um, capturing metrics and one of one one thing that's very common is to capture um, what the metrics are on a, on a 
particular compute node, like what's its CPU, how much memory does it have on a uh, on a, a time series basis. Uh, we found that these tools are extremely applicable to capturing things like wholesale energy prices, capturing, uh, say, smart meter data, which we which we also uh, capture meter from smart meters um, to do like modeling on on how particular. Um, residents like how much power they probably are using at a given time. Um, we've also found that um, some of these things can be bursty and it's really helpful to be able to spin up a bunch of like uh, compute in, in Heroku, say we need more. We can easily uh, either auto scale it or manually scale it depending on, on how we want to handle that. Um, so say as we start capturing more and more smart meter data, we can uh, have more and more like uh, Heroku front ends. Uh, so it, it's been really fun to see how these tools that um, kind of, well, at least I've used in different contexts are really applicable to, to energy. I came from uh, working at Google uh, actually on payroll timesheets, um, which isn't that relevant, except that it meant that I could, that I had experience with a lot of different Google Cloud tools, uh, which we can now um, apply to an industry that is maybe slower to adopt new technology. The utility sector, um, I don't want to offend anybody, but it tends to be uh, behind by a couple decades. That makes sense. A lot of large industries are, are like yeah. that, slow to move. Um, as far as uh, a couple other sort of bullet points about how you're, how you're capturing data, smart meters, feeders, rooftop solar, how do those all factor in? So they are, all of these things are interconnected and they, they um, can impact each other. So feeders, feeders are, are um, uh, feeders if, in case you're not familiar, is, is the way that uh, energy gets from, say, a substation to, uh, to your house, more or less. And um, a feeder is a way of aggregating all of the energy consumption that a whole set of, of houses use. So feeders are, are very important to us because they're kind of like, they provide a, a way of collecting a, a lot of energy consumption into, into an aggregate. Um, and then when we talk about things like rooftop and we talk about consumption, these things tend to kind of cancel each other out a little bit, right? So whereas your refrigerator is consuming, your your rooftop PV is producing. And so when we look at this as a whole, we kind of look at these are as counterbalancing. But there are other things like electric vehicles that, that also are big consumers. So we consider those a little bit separate. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's a incredibly hard problem that the utility sector has to deal with, which is that you always have to be balancing the exact amount of energy that people want to use with the amount that you're producing. Because um, you can't I mean, there are batteries, but uh, they haven't taken off enough yet that uh, you can store your electricity for any amount of time. Like the electricity that's running through our microphones right now um, was coal like, less than a second ago. Um, and so, uh, or probably since we're in California, it was sunlight, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so power is generated at some giant power plant or a solar farm it travels along a transmission line to a substation which then takes it down to the feeder which then is disseminated to uh, the people um, but then also more power might be added at the feeder level if you put a solar panel on there like you 
aren't connecting at the optimal place, but uh, you want to be able to connect into the grid and give what value you can. So just a ton of spatial data that you need to know where everything is all the time and exactly how much is being produced at every moment um, so that you don't do something like uh, underproduce power and cause a blackout or overproduce power and melt people's wires and homes. <laughs> this also relates back to the, the, the wholesale cost of en- price of energy. That's why we have, you, you may have heard way back in the day that, or, or even more recently, the, the California system operator and they, they're the ones that manage where, like how much you have to pay for energy at any given spot. And like one of their big jobs is to balance consumption with, with production. Um, and prices is one way to do that. No kidding. Yeah. So that's actually a, a pretty good transition to um, mapping in general. Um, it's not something I'm super familiar with, uh, but particularly when you talk about the, essentially the, for lack of a better term, supply chain effect, uh, more or less. Um, can you talk about, uh, first of all, the electric, uh, the electric grid to who has solar energy, sort of where energy uh, prices might be spiking, uh, where people are using lots of energy, power being shut off. When you think about those challenges, do those factor into some of the ways that you're collecting data, or, or? Uh, not so much the way? Well, so the avoiding uh, spikes that would cause instability drives a lot of the data that we're trying to get. Um, we're not, we are not yet anyway in a position to try to make the choices in in real time. We're we're trying to provide the analytics to say this is how you avoid ha- having these spikes that would cause an instability by by installing a battery or um, installing more infrastructure or there, whatever the data suggests, we're trying to um, provide that that sort of an analysis. So I want to approach this from a, a slightly different angle. Um, I'm in sales and account management. Um, when I think about how you... Uh, sell to your customers or t- attract new customers, a really critical thing is to understand, uh, for, that, for them to understand what your value proposition might be. So would you guys mind talking a little bit about, uh, when, as you've built your product, what sort of the core value prop is, what you've done uh, with the product, both on a software uh, level uh, and also at, uh, you know, potentially at a Heroku level, some of what you're doing that's unique uh, and driving value for those customers? We're hoping to... Uh, allow our customers to do things that otherwise would that would take them months in you know an hour or a couple hours maybe uh if you are trying let's say that you're trying to find a field to build a solar farm on uh you'll have to look up uh, all the property records for the county that you're interested you'll have to look up um you'll have to find some satellite imagery or send some poor sap out there to walk down the street and follow the power line back to the substation that uh, it goes to, you'll have to look around and see, oh, where are other solar farms around here? You know, because if there are too many that try to latch on to the same power line, then uh, you're going to melt it. You're going to overflow the grid. So you're doing just an amazing amount of uh, looking around and uh, trying to find uh, different data types. Um, and everybody's doing the same thing. Like everybody is looking for the same data. Uh, so on our platform, we're hoping to provide a unified interface where this is the same everywhere and it's the same for everyone. So everybody can see the same thing and in a consistent format, whether you're in Pennsylvania or Oregon. And 
we use tools like Heroku to uh, make sure that this is consistently available and, you know, it's all the databases are in the same format and you can like download parcels, whether it's eight o'clock in the morning or, you know, 2 a.m., wherever you are in the world, whether you're in France or here. And we can only do that because um, like we're one system using Heroku, which fortunately doesn't have a lot of downtime that we have to worry about. So th this has been a trend for the last several years, but we found especially in the last few years that we have been able to almost fully focus on just our analysis and just providing the product. And we don't have to worry about whether disks are filling up or whether something is running out of compute. They're just scaling themselves. You know? um, so it's really, it's really been amazing how much we've been able to do with, frankly, so few people because they're just like whole classes of technical problems that we just don't have to worry about um, that not that long ago um, we did have to worry about. Um, and and uh, Roku is a huge, huge part of that. Uh, you mean strictly from like an infrastructure perspective? Infrastructure. Yep. Like we, um, we, we don't have any infrastructure staff. We're, we're completely um, – and it's, it's really just frees us up to, to really focus on the problem that we're trying to focus on. Whereas the individual counties or – Whoever that you're pull that we pull data from, or that whoever is looking for data from, uh, might have that staff and might still have that uh, old infrastructure. You know, a county might still be keeping storing your property records on a CD um, like, or like a seat, like, like a, a compact disc. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we're trying to pull all those things together. <laughs> My goodness. Can you guys talk a little bit about how you're analyzing this data? Because, I mean, it's, first of all, it's got to be an enormous quantity yeah. of data you're collecting. Yeah. Well, one of the, the challenges, and it, and it seemed pretty crazy when I started and sometimes still seems pretty crazy, is that we are trying to analyze things. As, I, and I said this at the beginning at the one-to-one at the -one level. So we're not – our analysis doesn't start at, say, a county or start at a substation, how much load is. We're trying to say what's the probable load on every single house uh, – on the street, and what uh, what's their likelihood to have PV, or maybe we even know that that they have PV because because we've uh, done some analysis to to figure that out. And, and, and just for the record, by the way, PV is oh sorry, solar photovoltaic. Sorry, solar like rooftop solar. Awesome, thanks. Um, yeah, and uh, this is really a daunting challenge because um, we we talked about feeders. This is actually pretty hard. We've we've spent a our internal data staff has spent a lot of time. Um, figuring out where these are. And um, this kind of goes into us being like, like I said, one-to-one -one map. And often, as you might imagine, the probable load isn't exactly right at a given residence. But the great thing is that when you add enough of these up, it starts becoming pretty much spot on uh, when, you, when you add enough of them together and, and in aggregate, then it starts working out, which is the important part. You're seeing it as, like as an average, effectively. Not so much an average. I mean, you could think of a little bit of an average, but we, we don't have to get any single residence correct as far as what their hourly energy consumption, like we just model it. And, uh, but when you add it all up to the feeder, then the feeder starts getting correct, and then the substation is even more correct. Gotcha. I, I mean, so, yeah. it is sort of an average. If if you sure. have an electric vehicle and you plug it in, um, we probably won't know what time you plug in your electric vehicle, say, which 
if you plug in an electric vehicle, it might uh, quintuple the amount of energy that you're using at that moment. Uh, we might not know that it's at 5.03 versus at 6.10, you know, depending on what time you got home from work. Uh, but if we know that 10% of the people in your neighborhood have electric vehicles and uh, most of them are going to be getting home at the at a certain time and we've trained on real data from our utility customers, then uh, we can provide a glimpse as to what needs to be available uh, at 6 p.m. most days. Gotcha. And I, and I just heard you use the word trained. So is there some amount of machine learning going on here? Right. So that kind of, like I mentioned at the beginning, we... Uh, we we have these kind of like silo data sets and they're they're like they want us to answer a specific question can i build this substation here and so we can very we have the actual non-model data that we can answer that question specifically for them but the math that says that we can use model data and run it through the same math for areas that it's less you know it doesn't have to be quite as as precise or quite as as accurate and we can use modeled instead of actual and are these data sets strictly data that's being given to you by your customers or or what percentage of this is publicly available your individual usage data to be clear is not publicly available and for good reason because we don't want bad actors being able to uh, attack everybody with a nest thermostat or something like that Uh, and we've done a lot of work into looking into how to privatize people's individual data. Uh, there might be publicly available data sets that's aggregated up at a very large scale. Like you might be able to look up, oh, the G&E customers as a whole used this much energy last year. Um, and you might be able to look up you know, where the power lines are in some cases or uh, something like that. Um, we might be able to even look up, depending on how lenient your county is, like where your house is and who owns it. But we aren't able to pull, you know, David plugged his car in at 5.06. So we know that David gets home at 5.06. So if we wanted to rob David at 4.30, he wouldn't be home. No, we don't We don't look at anything like that. So I think in a, in a previous conversation that we had um, you mentioned something about sort of like load and production on a circuit um, and on a panel. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that factors in um, and, and also non-wire alternatives? We use models a lot, and models the models are informed by real data, but then the analysis uses the model instead of the instead of the real data. So um, we we may have a, a we we may look at um, a, see like a PV data set that has been made. Excuse me, photovoltaic rooftop yeah, solar fine. data sets that's that's made available, and um, there are there are a number of uh, kind of models available for uh, for. For PV, so what we can use is, we know where the PV is, and we know what a model is for PV in this location, and then we can we can add up all of the individual installations in that location, and then we get the probable production, um, which we can also feed in um, weather and that sort of thing to to um, to really get closer into what uh, the PV production probably was without actually measuring it. I'm talking about non-wires alternatives. Uh, that's basically trying to avoid building new wires, whether that's a new transmission line or a uh, feeder or substation. Um, it's especially important in California, perhaps, because we've had wires start fires. Um, and so the m- greater the degree to which we can reduce the number of wires in California, the better. 
all of that stuff is built based on forecasted growth in an area. It, oh, they think that, you know, Modesto is going to double in size or whatever. I'm making that up. But uh, let's say that they think that. Then they might need to build a ton of new electrical infrastructure in Modesto to service all these new people and all their new air conditioners. Um, so what you're saying is participate in the census. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not what I was saying, but yes. <laughs> Our models are just sort of an alternative to the utility model, um, which is saying, you know, this is going to grow by 10% next year. Instead, you know, we're showing what we think it's going to be. And we're also saying, okay, but what if instead of building a new transmission line here, you gave people a subsidy or something to put solar on their homes? So effectively providing your, uh, your customers with clearly actionable insights about what's going to be a good way for them to reach their customers in the best possible way with regards to energy needs as, as they can. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more now about, if you don't mind, um, talking about uh, some of the tools you're using to make mapping software. Like how, how are you guys currently using Heroku? How does that all fit into this, this pie right now? So, yeah, we have, I think, a pretty common, I think, uh, architecture for mapping infor information. We start, we start with, uh, uh, we have geospatial databases. We, we happen to use uh, Postgres with the PostGIS for a lot of our geospatial data. Um, and we, we run our API on top of Heroku, and we have our applications that are also on top of Heroku. Um, and we found that this works really well uh, for for doing the maps, and it makes doing the types of geospatial queries that we do all the time uh, really pretty pretty effortless, um, assuming we have enough resources. And then our um, our front end stack, we as I think Teddy mentioned earlier, we we use uh, Leaflet for that, and um, that's that's worked out uh, really really well for us. For on Heroku, uh, we're able to quickly spin up new uh, application front ends uh, that can all use the same API. So, for example, our data acquisition tools that our specialists use to input new data uh, calls Kavala's API, which is running on Heroku. And then we have a separate application also made on Heroku. Uh, that shows all of the data to utility and regulators. And then we have another application that lets you self-serve, let's say that you just want to pick one house and get its energy profile. Um, that's a public application uh, called Site Assessor that you can uh, use to hit Kavala's API. So we can have all these different applications uh, running on Heroku uh, that use a very small number of dynos uh, that hit our API, which uses a much larger number. I heard you talk about a bunch of front-end apps. The back-end is also on Heroku. Are you mm -hmm. also plugged into any other like third-party services as well, or can you talk a little bit about that? A ton of them. <laughs> well, maybe not I a would ton. assume so, not but based on that volume of data, I would... Yeah, we, um, we don't have any compute resources, like physical resources of our own other than our laptops. Uh, and so we, we use like a whole, whole set of services. Like we use um, Auth0 handles our authorization. Um, we, have, we have databases that are running uh, in Google Cloud. We have we use AWS for a lot of stuff. We we have a whole mix of uh, of, yeah. of 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 services, um, and most of them like 
do what we would have to hire whole teams of people to do to, to manage these sorts of things. So we've, we've been able to like build up our action application much more quickly by kind of tying all these building blocks together. Huh. Um, I, I, I'm particularly interested because, you know, I think a big part of what we're striving to do here is focus on Heroku being extremely good at a smaller slice of things mm -hmm. than some of these, you know, gargantuan uh, services like AWS out there, which has, I, I mean, I can't even keep track, 180 I'm, different product offerings or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing a little bit more about, you know, what, for the things that you're running on Heroku, why did you choose Heroku for those things? And why did you choose these various other, I mean, you don't have to get yeah. all the way down to the weeds, but talk so, a little bit about that integration. Um, Productivity, like productivity. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you kind of really described our, what we experience also with some of these. Um, you know, we we use AWS pretty pretty extensively as well for for kind of more specialized things, and and we like AWS, but. There's this huge menu of stuff, and I kind of like I don't even know where to start. And um, you know, we could go to trainings and stuff, but you know, it's I, to just kind of get up and running. Um, we really need something focused and that like handles our whole workflow. And Heroku does that beautifully, like from integration with GitHub, which which we use also extensively to creating review apps, to moving our code from review apps into like a staging where we can test it all out and make sure it works and into production. Um, this is a really seamless hands-off process for us. And we also, and also not only is it seamless and hands-off, but we understand it, which, which I think is also very, very important to kind of, not only is it hands-off, but we actually know what's going on uh, in, in this process. Well, I mean, the, Biggest win, I guess, was my first day at Kavala when I first saw uh, Heroku review app. I was like literally calling friends of mine or like at the gym that night, like talking to people, like, oh my God, like you wouldn't believe this. Like, uh, never again will I merge something and then get paged, uh, of course, always at 1 a.m., um, <laughs> telling me that the thing that I did just broke everything. Um, and that was a huge relief uh, from Heroku. And so the workflow, like the ability to uh, eat, easily make staging applications and advance those to production, everything is handled perfectly by Heroku. But then we're able to plug into all these other tools as well, like Paper Trail and Rollbar, Paper Trail being our logging software and Rollbar being uh, an Bug? Exception, Exception reporter. Yeah, yeah we'd like that marketplace really is great for us too. We're like... We need a tool that does this, and like, we're definitely not going to build it. Let's see what we can find. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we're an eleven-person company, um, newly eleven, <laughs> um, so we really can't build anything from scratch that we don't absolutely have to. I had heard somebody talk a little bit about time series databases. Mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in understanding a little bit more about how you how you're building out on those. Mm -hmm. uh, how does that relate to your use of Postgres at all, or does it? Uh, I think they're for us they're complementary. There are um, some time series database plugins for for Postgres, but we um, we use one called InfluxDB that we like quite a lot. Um, found it's very easy to use and the the purpose built for for what we need. And like we were talking about the um, wholesale energy prices and. Uh, we're talking about solar um, solar production, energy production, and, and gathering smart meter data. And I, 
all of this just we just put it all in there and it just keep you know it's, it's great we can get it out easily weather data all, all kinds of things that we capture it works work really well um and of course we could put this technically in in postgres but we find it it fits in a lot more easily into a purpose-built tool uh, but i i mentioned this earlier but i had first come across influx as a, a capturing metrics um, you know how how the response times on API calls and that sort of thing, and and um, you know it's all time series data, so it's not like it cares. But it was just really neat to see this transition into a totally new industry for me, hmm. especially since Heroku does our metrics for us. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> since yeah, good point. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, some of what you're talking about sounds like it might have a little bit of overlap with so-called IoT, sure. in the sense yeah, that you're absolutely. working with, right. I don't know, millions of sensors, billions of sensors. So we we have we are working with uh, real time data, but it's it's not we that's more aspirational for us in Got terms it. of capturing a ton in real time. Um, we're we're gradually building up our capability there more and more. Gotcha. So you're not necessarily as concerned right now about. PubSub or messaging queues or things like uh, that? We are concerned about them uh, in that we're preparing for the future. <laughs> um, and so we actually, um, we, we so we we're talking about smart meter data. We have a, a small set that that we are generating our, ourselves, like our friends and family's smart meters. And uh, we've set that all up in, in PubSub type architecture with the idea that uh, we would like to expand that out quite quite a bit in the in, in the future. Um, but right now, it's, it's we are using that m partly out of interest and partly uh, because it helps us with our modeling. <laughs> um, we have lots of smart meter data, but as far as pulling it in in real time, that's sort of the next big step. Um, because not only do we want to pull in smart meter data, but we'd like to pull in any smart device data, uh, anything that causes electricity to be used or produced. So yeah, as you guys look to augment the the capabilities of your of your core product going forward, uh, I heard you talk a little bit about the Elements Marketplace, which can can be a little overwhelming as far as the options in there. I mean, are you obviously you're looking outside of Heroku as well? But I'm interested to understand sort of when you're uh, when you're looking to augment your, your core product, how do you go about making a decision about what sorts of uh, data oriented solutions or whatever it might be? to adopt uh, to to try to address the lowest hanging fruit it it depends on what we're looking for so i i think for example we are we are very interested in in real time you know in in the next year or so get capturing real time moving from what i would say is periodic data where we're we're maybe getting stuff once a day or once you know a couple times a day to getting it as a constant flow and so we're like okay we want to we're going to get into real time what what are my what is my what are my options for like can I get? I don't want to manage a Kafka server, so could, is there Kafka on there, or is there a RabbitMQ server, or is there like things that we don't want to manage, but we but we need? And so, usually we have an idea of the type of tool that we want, but we'll kind of do a survey on on what's available, and then like, how much is it going to cost us, and how how does it integrate with uh, our our tooling that we already are using, and um, can I figure out how to use this, you know, relatively quickly, or is this going to be like a, you know, I got to take a month to figure out how to use something or, or go to some training? And so usually, 
I would say um, the I got it up and running quickly and without much fuss is a really big win for us, and that usually is the one that tends to kind of uh, tend to kind of win <laughs> unless there's some other problem with it. Um, you know, another example is like we were like, well, we need something slow. We should we should look at caching that. And they're like, well, of course, we don't want to manage a Redis server, so let's let's find out what's available. <laughs> you know, that that sort of thing. So um, I don't think there's any one thing, but um, being able to get something up and running that we can just start using right away is is, is really important to us. It's we have so many ideas coming into our team all the time for potential projects because we have so many ongoing projects right now. Uh, so basically, anytime that I see a post on Hacker News or something that tells me uh, or that says a best practice for something, uh, we can find a way to apply that to our business. Or if I stumble across a new feature in Google Cloud or a new feature on Heroku, uh, we try to find some way to apply that to some products that we're working on. For example, there was a beta thing on Google Cloud recently that was a computer vision auto auto ML they call it auto machine learning uh, and it just pretty much automatically did a bunch of computer vision for us um, so pretty much as soon as I found out that that existed uh, I was like oh yeah we're using this before we uh, start to wrap up here I'd be interested to hear a little bit about advice that you that you would give to anyone else who is uh, working with similar uh, types or similarly enormous sets of data um, or or mapping? What sort of advice would you give to other companies looking at addressing those kinds of challenges? I don't know if this is actionable advice, but one of the most advantageous things about what we do is that we have a few customers that use our product a lot or extensively rather than many customers who are just creating it a little bit. So we have a lot less load on our servers and everything and a lot less load of uh, customer relation management because, uh, you know, we might have a few dozen customers instead of a few dozen million. Yeah, that's absolutely helped us in terms of our customer support burden. We don't really, we, we're able to handle as developers pretty much all of the customer support or or like triage of, of, of bugs just because we don't have three million customers or or things that we that, that we have to do so that's kind of a, a fortunate aspect um, so um, yeah I would I would recommend doing that if you can. <laughs> um, no um, I in terms of advice um, I, I think for a small company I I, I think the model of putting pre-built pieces together versus trying to build them yourselves. Um, I think it's worked out well for us, and I can't really imagine any other way, whether you have a lot of customers or or, or, or few, um, in in building a, a full application with, with only a few people. Just strictly um, so in terms of like speed to market, basically. Speed to market, right? Or, or speed to add new features or, or, or speed to fix things that are broken. Um, I, uh, I, a, a lot of what we do, I, admittedly, is a, is a reaction to um, some of my prior work experience. And, and um, I have experienced being paged because disks fill up. And I've experienced trying to fix something and, and didn't really know anything about it. And um, 
And I think those sorts of things make sense in a bigger organization. But when you're small, like we just don't have time to 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 figure that out. And it's just a big burden lifted off of us to to have, you know, all these <laughs> vendors basically take care of it for us. And um, that, of course, presents its own in, own challenges when vendors have problems. But we've actually found. Um, it, to be very reliable, We've, we haven't really had much problem with uh, one of the services that we rely on going, going down. You're saying with even one of them going down. So you you might um, you you might say, well, given how many different services that we use, uh, even if one of them, even if they're all very reliable in your in their own right collectively something might be always broken and and I think that that's a legitimate concern uh we just haven't really experienced it that much gotcha uh, okay so. so it almost sounds like a a microservices of vendors in Ex- a, in a yeah way. I think that's actually very very apt I th- I think that there and there's this whole ecosystem of vendor microservices that are competing to provide very good services to us um and um frankly it's wonderful it, it's um and, and i yeah again i i think that that's a very correct way to put it <laughs> all so, right yeah. well uh I, again emmanuel and teddy uh, i really want to thank you guys for coming in and joining us today and uh again this has been kodish from heroku we look forward to seeing you guys for the next one Thanks so much. Right, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.